The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Sunday, December 5th, 2021. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast where we sometimes discuss camel fighting dodo birds and Leaky Black, Matt Norlander, is here with me. He's at home. I'm at home. And if you follow the sport, even just a little, uh, you know that Gonzaga almost never loses basketball games. The Zags have won at least 31 games, five straight seasons. They were 31-2 and two, two seasons ago, 31-1 and one last season. They are 102-9 and nine in their past 111 games. Amazing. But after Saturday night's 91-82 loss to Alabama inside Lane Staley Arena. They are now just one and two in the past three games, seven and two on the season. The past three games set up like this. Three-point loss to Duke and Las Vegas. A closer than it should have been nine-point win over Tarleton State in Spokane. And then a somewhat lopsided nine-point loss to Alabama in Seattle. Last season, season, Gonzaga did not take its first loss until April 5th. Today is December 5th four months before April 5th, and the Zags have already lost twice. Deadleg, are you concerned about them? Not really. Uh, This team doesn't look to be as good as last season's team, to be honest. Uh, To me, Saturday night was more larger takeaways for Alabama, for me, than Gonzaga. What's interesting is you mentioned the final score, nine-point difference, Gonzaga was able to to kind of create at the end of the game. The statistically, they were very even. Turnovers were even. Fouls uh, were not even. Bama had twenty four. Gonzaga actually ha- only had fifteen. The two point shooting, the three point shooting was nearly identical. It's just a matter of Alabama was way better through the first twenty minutes uh, of the game. Gonzaga kind of pulled back in, got it close late, and the margin. It was fifty three thirty five early in the second half. Paris that was the that was the widest it ever got. If Gonzaga had been able to manage to not let Bama get more than maybe 12 or 13 ahead, I think maybe it's a little bit different. But credit to Nate Oates and Alabama for how they won that game uh, because Gonzaga didn't have enough. Chet Holmgren wasn't even on the floor for um, for significant stretches in the second half, which you couldn't help but notice if you watch. Like Anton Watson actually made a couple of really good plays. Drew Timmy, who had 23, he was on the floor for most of it. But to me, it was just more about Bama. If you want to lead on Gonzaga, my thought is this. They do have a no-doubt-about-it home win over Texas and a no-doubt-about-it neutral win over UCLA. They were handled by Alabama, and they were handled by Duke. So last season, this was, from a metric standpoint, Gonzaga, even though Baylor won the title, Gonzaga rated as the best team in college basketball. You want to say Baylor was the best, I'm not going to argue with that, but they did rate as the number one team at Ken Palm and other advanced metrics. This season doesn't seem to be as likely that that's going to happen. Um, 
but we'll see. They're going to play in a better league this season, which will help them. I'll also note that, again, this is preseason bias ranked in as we record this on Sunday night. You know, this is sometimes why I think some people that don't want to lean into advanced metrics get frustrated. Again, you have to consider how good Gonzaga has been when I'm about to say what I'm about to say. But at Ken Palm right now, even though the, the margin is narrowing and could be gone within a matter of 48 hours or so, Gonzaga is still the number one team at Ken Palm as a two-loss team. Again, that is not purely based on what we have seen this season. It is preseason bias baked in that is slowly getting whittled away as each week goes along so I don't think that will be the case this season I'm still not selling Gonzaga as a uh, a national title contender or anything like that this was more to me about Alabama a team I picked in the preseason to win the SEC and hello it looks damn good a year after oh by the way Bama was a two seed and had a top two season in program history you might remember last season I consistently said that I thought to beat Gonzaga just about every team in the country would need Gonzaga not to play well like, if they play well, you can't beat them. Um, the exception to that, with the benefit of hindsight, probably Baylor. <laughs> but I, all, I, all, I said consistently, I thought a team that could beat Gonzaga, even if Gonzaga played well, uh, was Alabama. And the reason is because of the style of play that Nate is committed to, um, which I love. It is rooted in analytics, modern. And what they're going to do is, is guard you. They're going to play fast. And they're going to launch threes. And if they're hitting them, I don't care how good you are, you're, you're going to be in for a, a tough night. And on Saturday night, you know, they took 72 shots. 34 of them came from beyond the arc. That's 47.2%, I believe. That's about the number they want to shoot from beyond the arc. They want somewhere between 45 and 55% uh, of their shots coming from beyond the arc. And if they are making them at a nice clip, good luck. And they, you know, they, they were 38.2% against Gonzaga, 13 of, of 34 from three-point range. Nate, after the game, said um, they, uh, meaning Gonzaga, knew we were dangerous because of how many three-pointers we're going to take. And then he said, we made a, a, we made a few of them, and that helped us a little bit. Well, the truth is they made a lot of them, and it helped them a lot. And it was not the only reason Alabama was able to win, but it was certainly among the main reasons Alabama was up by as many as 18 and was able to withstand a Gonzaga run late and, um, and then and, and extend that lead rather than have to play, you know, a final possession with the game on the line. I was actually coming home from, I was at dinner with my family and then coming home um, while this game was ending. So we were streaming it in the car and there was a moment where it looked like uh, Gonzaga, like, okay, they, you know, they, they, one more stop, one more shot. They're going to have a chance at this thing. And Alabama, J.D. Davison hit a big three, the five-star freshman. They, they just, they, they took Gonzaga's punch in Seattle, counterpunched and put the game away. Really impressive performance. And, you know, as I wrote in top 25 and one on Sunday morning, you know, they've got a real chance to, be back-to-back -back outright SEC champs. And if Nate Oates is able to do that, he'll be the first coach to do it since Billy Donovan did it at Florida in the 2013-14 season. It's pretty good. Uh, about to give you some props here. All right. So uh, it was last Sunday night where I kind of uh, I busted your chops over not wanting to put Wendell Moore on the top 100 list. 
Folks, Parrish was adamant to have J.D. Davison on that top 101 list. Yeah. I was not, and Parrish was very, very much correct because this was the best game of Davison's young career. He hit that huge shot that which really stopped the bleeding and, and, and solidified it. Uh, career high 20 overall. He is... A bucket of fun, man. They got a they got a four guard attack. You know, uh, Keon Ellis is a six wing, a six six like wing guard. Uh, if you want to toss him in there, he's technically labeled as a guard. Uh, this is what's going to make Alabama such a, a fun team to watch and a nightmare to prepare for, let alone play against the season. Yes, they're going to take more losses, whatever. But Davison, who you cannot miss on the floor because he has got he's just got uh, the boss of all boss dues uh, with that. Uh, with that lion's mane out there, it just, he just drips confidence. I love it. He, uh, he right now is uh, the, the game got him up to 9.8 points per game on average this season after dropping 20 in this one, but him, Jaden Shackelford, who was just blazing hot in the first half, uh, Javon Quinterly, Keon Ellis, they combined nicely for 69 of Bama's points on Saturday night. And at this point, here's where we're at with this attack. Shackford's at 19 a game. Quinterly's at 14.9. Davidson's at 9.8. Ellis is at 12.1. Ellis is actually absurdly uh, absurdly efficient. His offensive rating at Kempom right now is 134.5. And if you're unsure what offensive rating is, it's you take the number of points that will be – that a player basically – contributes produces per 100 possessions but you got to factor in field goals makes in misses rebounds assists all that stuff so if you're at 100 you know you're okay anything above 110 is good anything above 120 is very good anything above 130 is elite Keon Ellis is at 134.5 this season and he's the least heralded of the four players also was the only player of those four that wasn't a top 100 prospect when he got to Alabama they had 1.14 points per possession against Gonzaga Gonzaga had 1.02 on Saturday night and again you mentioned the three-point shooting it was good but it was total volume play GP 38% from three 47% from two those are good, not great when you combine them overall, but they hit 13 threes. That wound up being a difference in addition to the fact that Gonzaga was 13 of 25 from the foul line, which equates to just 52%. At the end, Gonzaga just did not have a, a enough time to, to overcome the deficit. And man, I mean, Shackelford and Davison, they just, they combined, I want to say they hit like seven or eight shots be between the first and second half where when you're watching the flow of the game, you're like, these are real body blows. So credit to Nate Oates and uh, they, they prepped well. They get a good... I guess maybe it'll be logged as a as a semi-home win for Gonzaga. I don't know. The, Gonzaga had to get on a plane to fly to that game. Yes, they had more fans in the building, but to me it's borderline neutral. That's a really quality win that's going to that's gonna last a good while there. And uh, Alabama certainly right now is setting up to look uh, nearly as good this season as it, was with la as it was last season with many new members of the cast. You mentioned Chet Holmgren uh, just on him, and then we'll move on. Um, he only played 22 minutes in a competitive game and it wasn't because of foul trouble. He had one foul. Um, he just, Mark just kept him off the court for stretches at a time. And uh, among the reasons is because he's not really giving them anything special on the offensive end of the court. Like he's a unique talent an undeniable talent, but exactly how you use him, I still think is, something they're trying to figure out, especially when you've got, you know, the preseason national player of the year in the front court as well in Drew Timmy. Um, in theory, you know, you're supposed to play Timmy on the block and, and, and let Holmgren float as a legit seven foot center. Cause he is again, theoretically dangerous from out there. 
He's 0-4 from three against Alabama, and he's shooting 30% from three uh, so far on the season. So he, you know, he'll be fine, and he'll be a top five pick, and he'll have an amazing career and make $200 million. But, um, you know, Paulo Bencaro can take over a game right now and has. Um, you know, I think J.D. Davison can take over a, a game. Uh, and, and, you know, on some level did. I don't know that Chet is, is ready to take over a high-profile game against comparable talent quite yet, whether that's because of his strength or because he's not comfortable completely on the offensive end or because he's not reliably making that shot. But um, you, I, I think we saw in that game and have seen here and there, you know, early in the season, why despite the fact that he is number one in a lot of people's mock drafts, it's certainly not clear cut. And at this point, and I've said this really since, you know, the night of the 2021 NBA draft, I understand why other people would argue in favor for him. I don't think he's the guy I would take first overall. Yeah, it was, uh, it was just, it was noticeable when he wasn't on the floor at the end of the game or, you know, in, in spurts leading up to the end of the game. And cause he did have a couple of spots in the first half where he almost like, you know, just uh, opportunities, second chance opportunities around the rim or just altering shots. Like he was doing things you need him to do. But I think it's fair to say that in order for Gonzaga to be a top five level team this season consistently and to be there once we get to March, you need to have him available and contributing in significant ways on the floor at the end of the game. And so, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I just couldn't help but notice it as I watched uh, I watched it play out on Saturday night. So Memphis lost again this weekend and Penny Hardaway once again blasted his veterans for not embracing specifically Imani Bates and Jalen Dern. It is some kind of mess down here in the Bluff City. We'll get into that next. First, though, check this out. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way at newbalance.com. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. So Memphis lost again this weekend, this time at Ole Miss, and Penny Hardaway went pretty hard at his veterans uh, for not, among other things, blasting, uh, for not for not um, being welcoming to Jalen Duran and Amani Bates. He said the veterans are and have been jealous the word he used, jealous of the newcomers and the attention that they get. He said it's created 
um, a real issue, a chemistry issue within the locker room. And he said there's been tension in the program since the day Amani Jalen arrived. Deadleg, let me ask you this. Um, is Penny Hardaway making good points to our friend Seth Davis? And you can, if you haven't read the story yet, it's at The Athletic, and it's, it's Seth did a great job with it because um, he got Penny to say a lot of things on the record that he had never said before. Um, is Penny making good points, or is it precise, precisely his job to avoid these issues? And if he didn't, that is, on some level, an indictment of him. I hate when someone asks an either-or question in the end and people go, you know, it's it's a little bit of both, or both. It's both. Uh, more coaches, please be as transparent on the record as Penny Hardaway was to Seth Davis this weekend because this is damn refreshing. And as many coaches off the record would tell you, they will say these very things. I, it is It is Hardaway's job. He is the coach. He recruited this team. It is in his job description to create a winning culture, to win basketball games for the University of Memphis, and everything that that entails involves building a locker room and a culture to where you don't have these problems. So the things that Penny Hardaway is complaining about are of his doing, whether intentionally or unintentionally, it is his fault. He, yes, here, here's a couple of quotes. He didn't name which veterans in particular. I'm not going to name any players on this podcast and just assume I've got, I definitely have one in mind that I, would be stunned if it wasn't him, but I'm not going to say his name on the podcast here. Um, he told Seth, quote, I don't want to do that. I don't have time to deal with angry parents. This is when Seth obviously must have asked him if he was going to uh, to reveal which veterans in the locker room were, were creating issues. And then he said further down, uh, he said, quote, I'm going to have to be a complete bleep hole from this point on and only play the players that care. There's a group of people on this team that if I play them, I really feel in my heart we could be undefeated or only have one loss. The main reason we have these losses is that the veterans don't want to take the young guys under their wings. They want it to be about them. Oh, my goodness. Thank you, Benny Hardaway. Um, Paris is getting an, uh, a dress rehearsal here on the Sunday podcast, but he basically just allowed you to have an entire week's worth of radio shows. Not that that Memphis in and of itself doesn't allow you that, but this is, this is so refreshing to hear from a coach. Yeah. Memphis is by the way, damn frustrating to watch lost three in a row. Iowa state who we'll get to in a minute, uh, Georgia, not going to be a tournament team. Ole Miss. We'll kind of see those are both road losses. You know, Memphis couldn't, pull itself uh, together to get a win on the road against Ole Miss. I watched almost that entire game on Saturday. So, yeah, it's damn frustrating. And Amani Bates, please do not search for your name on social media because when Memphis plays, a lot of people have nothing but negative things to say. And I don't remember who was, who was on the call for this one. I can't remember. But they brought up an obvious point that you're going to hear plenty, but still is worth repeating. And, yes, these – Dern and – Bates made this decision, so they got to live with it. They got to live with the consequences. But at at the very base of this is still they should be in high school right now. These are you know seventeen year old players going on eighteen that that normally would be in high school. Now do they have elite talent? Yes, they are. They have elite talent. Should they uh, ultimately go on and be successful NBA players? We believe so. But Penny Hardaway, by taking both these players on and trying to change the calculus of what his roster would be, what this team might be capable of, took. Something of a calculated risk here. And since Duran and, and Bates are not, they have not been the players that Memphis fans hope they would be. They just haven't yet. And that combined with veterans clearly being vocal enough to the point where it's ruining the locker room less than a month into the season, it's created college basketball's greatest soap opera right now.
I'm not surprised um, by what Penny said. Like, I believe it to be true. The only thing that I find uh, a little confusing is he told Seth, um, I never thought we would have any issues. And, you know, I, again, I take him at his word, but like, I assume they might have issues for the reasons that they are clearly having issues, according to Penny. Um, when you bring in two five-star prospects who are projected, you know, future top five picks very late in the process to a team that did get good last season and make it very clear that your two best players from last season are going to play fewer minutes, get fewer shots than they did last season. That has the potential to cause a problem. In fact, I remember in the preseason when the AP poll came out, there was one voter, not just one, but a voter who did not put Memphis on his top 25 ballot. And the only reason I know that is because Memphis fans were sending it to me. Tear his ass up, GP. And give him his, give him his shouts now, man. I, I honestly don't remember who it is. Um, out of I Jersey. Would, I don't either. But uh, he was, I think it was a writer out of Jersey. So I remember us talking about this very thing. He was right to this point. Yeah. And when he was explaining why he left Memphis off, it was more or less um, bringing in two five-star projected lottery picks and trying to mesh them with uh, you know, a veteran core has the potential of blowing up. Well, here we are. And um, if, if, if an AP voter from New Jersey can identify that as a possible issue, I don't know why you wouldn't identify it as a possible issue. And by the way, everything that Memphis is going through right now is not unique to Memphis. You know, Memphis isn't the only program in America that enrolled two five-star freshmen to veteran cores. Kentucky did it. Michigan did it. Gonzaga did it. Tennessee did it. Duke did it. They all added multiple five-star freshmen to locker rooms otherwise filled with veterans. The same set of circumstances um, that Memphis is dealing with, those circumstances are present right now at Gonzaga, Michigan, Kentucky, Tennessee, and Duke. At the very least, those they those are all schools that added two five-star freshmen, multiple five-star freshmen. And every one of those schools still top 20 at Ken Palm right now. Memphis is the only team in the country that enrolled multiple five-star freshmen and is no longer in the top 20 at Ken Palm. In fact, Memphis isn't even in the top 30 anymore. And I guess I would just say it, it, it wasn't hard to see this as a potential problem. Again, DeAndre Williams and Landers Nolly were Memphis's two best players last season. Both decided to come back to school. And then very late in the process, Penny enrolled a five-star big, who is now the focus of the front court instead of DeAndre Williams, and a five-star wing who is going to take more shots than anybody, including Landers Nolly. Why would you not assume that might be an issue? Because fast forward to today, DeAndre Williams is playing five and a half minutes fewer per game than he did last season, getting fewer touches, taking fewer shots, averaging fewer points, rebounds, assists, whole deal. It is a direct result of the late enrollment of Jalen Duran. Landers Nolly is playing six fewer minutes per game than he did last season, getting fewer touches, taking fewer shots, averaging fewer points, rebounds, steals, everything. It's a direct result of the late enrollment of Amani Bates. Like 
you have to assume that might create an issue. And that's part of the job. Like that's a big part of the job. Identify possible issues and then avoid them. Or if you can't avoid them, resolve them. And that Memphis hasn't been able to do that through the first eight games of this season is an obviously pro- is an obvious problem that has the head coach venting, for lack of a better word, to Seth Davis Saturday after uh, a, a third loss. Keep in mind, Memphis has been favored in all eight games. They've lost three of them. Favored by double digits in two of the three losses. And that's obviously disappointing. Uh, Hardaway did tell Seth... Uh, who is a dedicated listener to this podcast. So whenever you get around to listening to this episode, Seth, uh, you're welcome. He said, this is all on me. I'm the head coach. I've tried to think this through as a guy that played the game and a little bit further down. And you mentioned the he's just, he's surprised by the amount of criticism from fans and media being attacked personally like this. That shocks me. I, I again, he knows where he's coaching. He played at that school. He lives and has lived and been a part of that city's basketball culture since basically puberty, essentially, right? So uh, that was a little surprising. I'm kind of with you there. Memphis at was at 0.86 points per possession against Ole Miss. Again, if you listen to the Friday episode, I had a quick aside about what someone who was in the building, uh, uh, NBA person, said against uh, their game against... I guess they're both games against Virginia Tech and Iowa State. And it was a lot of like, listen, they're kind of, it's AAU style. You know, they're going to win through chaos, get you up tempo, try and flush to you. And that might work. But a lot of this stuff is kind of like, what is going on right now? What are we doing? And it is still a bit surprising. Now, I know the staff is, again, they've got Larry Brown, Rasheed Wallace, and then Cody Toppert who uh young guy with uh, with an NBA background there, but they've got a, a, a very different kind of staff, which if you look at the assistants under Penny and then Penny himself and the, and the, the roads all coaches took to, to get to the point where they're all, you know, employed by Memphis as the, as the four man coaching staff this season. And it is a bit surprising to see them this much out of sorts. There honestly cannot imagine what, uh, and, you know, there are no violins needed here, but I'm just trying to take you inside of what uh, what it really must be like, or I can't imagine must must be like for that. I don't feel like Rasheed Wallace is dealing with the um, parents or guardians of, of a lot of these players sending phone calls and, and shooting text messages. I feel like a lot of that's probably falling on Penny more than anyone else. Maybe Larry Brown's taking an occasional call or so, but this must be absolute chaos. And any coach will tell you, like, that kind of stuff is almost inevitable at a certain point in the season with maybe a player or two, because frankly, the guy who's 10th or 11th on the bench, you know, doesn't want to be 10th or 11th and they might be able to live with it for a month. But after everyone knows the great understanding in college basketball is the Christmas break is where you brace yourself because that's when everyone goes home, gets a couple of days with family and friends. You aren't getting enough of your minutes. And then who's going to wind up being the ones that transfer when they come out of Christmas break. We didn't even get to that point with Memphis at all. And yeah, like, in the preseason, we didn't know how good this team would be or not. We guaranteed it would be one of the most interesting teams. They're horrendous to watch, but they are still interesting <laughs> by nature. I mean, they are. It is. They are the hardest watch of any power conference team in college basketball this season to this point. They're still five and three. They've got time to turn it around. They have a Virginia Tech win, which will be a quad one win eventually. Um, they've got Murray State on Friday which is going to be this weird dynamic because John Morant obviously plays in the city. This is like a, it's like not like a homecoming game, so to speak, but 
Memphis fans, like there's going to be Memphis fans in in the building GP where they're going to have like this attachment to John, his former school. They'll root for the. I don't know. It's weird. Like it's a great thing that they're doing. I love that they're doing it. But it's to have that game come on the heels of a three game losing streak, and then oh by the way, after that they've got to play the Crimson Tide, which we just talked about, and then they got to play Tennessee. It is not unthinkable we could look up in Memphis is five and six. I'm going to say they will not be. I don't think the Tigers will be five and six when we look up and they're uh, they're getting ready to play Alabama State on December 21st. But man, oh man, Penny's got to be wearing his phone out in terms of asking anyone and everyone how he can help fix the situation. And I do look forward to my last thing on this is I look forward to him being a man of his word here and and seeing what what we're getting from minutes against Murray State Friday and then potentially Tuesday against Alabama. Who's not playing? Who's sitting on the bench? Because that's going to tell us the players he that have been causing an issue in the locker room as far as he is concerned. Uh, he was transparent on the record with Seth Davis about the issues. If he follows through with this, he'll be forced to be transparent with his actions as a coach by seeing who starts and who's earning the lion's share of the minutes over the next game or two or three. Well, this is another issue. And real quick, I'll back up. Um, I'm not surprised Penny is frustrated by the criticism. He said it gets personal. I haven't really heard anybody get personal with it, I don't think, because everybody loves Penny and I like wants him to succeed. Like I was leading the fire tubby hire Penny charge. I'm glad they did it. I'm still glad they do it. They did it. I still think he can do this job well. Um, but clearly there's some issues right now. And you're not doing your job if you don't discuss them as honestly as you can. You don't have to take shots or be mean. So I don't do that. But there are issues that have already popped up in this season. And one of them is that I think they play too many players. I've been saying this for weeks. Um, one of the things that can lead to chemistry issues is, is you don't decide in advance of the season starting who you rolling with and who's not playing. Like, let's, let's make, let's go ahead and make sure all the people who are going to be unhappy, let's just go ahead and let them be unhappy now. And all the people who are going to be pleased with the playing time, let's establish that. But when you start mixing them back and forth, one, one game, somebody plays 17 minutes, next game, they play three. You can't do that. Or at least it's very difficult to keep people happy when you do that. Um, Memphis has 11 different players playing at least 9.7 minutes per game. It's too many. It's too many. You know, there's only 200 player minutes available in a college basketball game. You're way better off. Almost any coach will tell you this, dividing those 200 minutes by eight or nine, maybe 10, but 11 is too many. Like Purdue's the number one team in the country right now, or they will be come Monday afternoon in the AP poll. The Bullermakers only have 10 players averaging more than 2.5 minutes per game. Against Iowa on Friday night, nine Purdue players played at least 16 minutes. Nobody else played more than three. The roles on that team are clearly defined. On Saturday against Ole Miss, Memphis had 11 different players play at least seven minutes. 11 different players played in the first eight minutes of the game. When you try to play that many players, it makes keeping enough of them happy more difficult than it needs to be. Like I said, Purdue used nine players Friday night against Iowa. Gonzaga, Alabama, big-time game. Two great teams, fast-paced. So they're getting up and down the court. You might need to use more players. Alabama played eight dudes. Gonzaga played eight. Meantime, Penny's still trying to play 11. It's, a, it's an approach that is counterproductive for a couple of different reasons. Uh, one, it keeps your most talented players off the court more than they should be off the court. And it also causes or enhances chemistry issues. That's why it's so important to identify you guys early, establish the roles. You have to figure out who's playing, who is it, and then only adjust 
for the most part because of foul trouble or injuries. Pick your guys, play them consistently just about every game. Like, who's your 28-minute-per-game guy? Who's your 18-minute-per-game guy? Who's your zero-minute-per-game guy? you got to figure that out, and they still have not figured that out, and it's it's caused an, a, an additional problem. And the main thing that, that's wild is that he Penny knows this. Like, he agrees with everything I'm saying because he has said everything I'm, say, I, I'm saying. Like, he's, he's on the record saying he knows he needs to play 8 or 9, not 11 or 12. But then the Ole Miss game starts, and he's playing 11 different dudes in the first eight minutes. What? He, he, he actually says, I can't play 11. I won't play 11. And then he goes out and plays 11 in the first eight minutes against Ole Miss. It's just hard to – I think he just gets caught up in the game. And I don't know. I can't explain it. He, like, actually contradicts himself. He says, he says he's going to do this thing, then he does this other thing. And the thing that he does that he says he knows he can't do, it um, – it, it, it causes issues because you're trying to play 11. Almost nobody's going to be happy with the amount of playing time they're getting. And the other thing, and this will be the last thing on Memphis. And it's something I think I pointed out last week. Um, the staff entered the season thinking they didn't need a traditional point guard to play. And that seems to be a massive miscalculation um, because They've already turned back to Alex Lomax for the fourth straight year. And if you're playing Alex Lomax at point guard, you're only doing it for one reason, because he's the only natural point guard on the roster. So it means that when you said you didn't think you had to play with a natural point guard, you could just play with you know a non-traditional point guard. Um, clearly, eight games into the season, you've already uh, ditched that idea because Alex played 28 minutes against Ole Miss, led the team in minutes. Now, there are at least... Seven players on Memphis's roster who are more talented than Alex Lomax. Imani Bates, Jalen Dern, Lester Quinones, uh, Landers Nolly, DeAndre Williams, Earl Timberlake, Josh Minot. And the number might be 11, depending on what you think of Malcolm Dandridge, Tyler Harris, Chandler Lawson, Jaden Hardaway. So the question is like, why is Alex Lomax fourth on the team in minutes played at 22.4? And the answer is because he's the only natural point guard on the roster. But here's the problem. If he's not good at point guard, when he's playing point guard, what is the point of having him on the court at all? Like you're only playing him because of this one thing he can supposedly do, which is play point guard, but he doesn't even really play point guard well. Like it's one thing to play a small, less talented, non-shooter, non-driver, non-finisher, 22.4 minutes per game. If the reason is because, you know, he runs your team well, takes care of the ball, gets you into your offense, but he doesn't do any of those things. Like Memphis is terrible offensively when he's on the court. He's tied for the lead, team lead in turnovers with 21 through eight games. He's got 21 turnovers, 21 assists. Like it, it, if he can't run your offense or create space for others as a shooting threat or take care of the ball, what is the point of playing him? So I've said this before, but like he shouldn't be in the rotation. He has played more minutes at point guard per season Every year of the Penny Hardaway era so far. And Memphis has never been described as great or looked great, except for one time, one stretch, end of last season, when they were awesome to close the regular season, didn't have a resume, go to the NIT, and just rolled to that. They looked great. Alex Lomax was hurt and couldn't play, so they were forced to go to somebody else. They went to Boogie Ellis, and they, they looked great. So there's been one stretch of games in four years 
that they looked great. And it happened to be the same stretch of games where they couldn't use Alex Lomax at point guard. I don't think that's a coincidence. And so last season, um, they thought Alex was their best option until they couldn't use him. Then they used Boogie Ellis, and turns out Boogie Ellis was the best option. So my point is, at this point, they should try anything else. Like, I know they don't think Earl Timberlake's a better option or Lester Kenyon is a better option, Tyler Harris is a better option. But, like, they were wrong about that last year. With all due respect, Boogie Ellis was the better option. They didn't use him until they had to. I would try any other option right now because the Alex Lomax thing just doesn't work. There's four years of data. It just does not work. He's too limited in, in what he can do. The truth is they should have done whatever they had to do to keep Boogie Ellis. And they lost him, by the way, in part because of Alex Lomax. Like Boogie Ellis is like, I'm not going to not play point guard because of Alex Lomax. That's crazy. So they lose him. Now he's leading USC, a top 10 team in points and assists per game. They should have done whatever they had to do to keep him or whatever they had to do to get Kennedy Chandler. Whatever they did to get Imani Bates and Jalen Duren should have been done for Kennedy Chandler. Because on the same day, Alex Lomax is getting five points and leading Memphis in turnovers and a loss at Ole Miss to extend the losing streak to three games. Kenny Chandler, 29 points on the road in a double-digit win for Tennessee at Colorado. That's the undoing of this team. They thought they could play without a dot. They thought they could play with, with a non-traditional point guard. So Boogie left. They didn't get Kennedy Chandler. And now they're left trying to play with Alex Lomax. And it's just, it doesn't work. Jerry Carino is your voter out of New Jersey for the Asbury Park Press, who had right. that call in the preseason. Um, so there we go. GP. Hmm. There are, I think, 12 as we record. 12 undefeated teams still standing uh, almost a month into the season. Uh, to you, between Minnesota and Iowa State, you can uh, refresh our listeners on what exactly happened over the weekend. But as you do that, I do have a, I want to tee you up again. Uh, for you, Iowa State, first-year coach T.J. Altsberger, or Minnesota, first-year coach Ben Johnson, uh, which team is more surprising at this stage of the season? I think Iowa State. Um, and the reason is because I think Iowa State's done more. Like, Minnesota just went and won at Mississippi State. That's impressive. But Iowa State has beaten Xavier, beaten Memphis. And we talk about Memphis like they haven't beat anybody. Memphis did beat Virginia Tech. And Virginia Tech did get Mark Turgeon fired. Like, for, I think Virginia Tech's good, and, and Memphis did beat them. And Iowa State beat them. So Xavier, good win. Memphis, good win. And then they go on the road at Creighton and win a game. Um, I, I don't know if Minnesota will be able to hold this together. Ultimately, Minnesota might really finish last in the Big Ten, which is where they were projected, even though they're 7-0 and and celebrated however you feel like celebrating it. I'm pretty convinced Iowa State's legit. Like, I, I don't think Iowa State's finishing last in the Big 12. If you told me you got to bet your 401k on the team that won't finish last in its league, you lose it all. If your team finishes last in the league out of these two teams, I'd take Iowa State for sure. Uh, Minnesota won on the road Sunday against Mississippi State, which was uh, a preseason trendy team to end a long and still play tournament route. And maybe Mississippi State will wind up doing that, but to this point, hasn't been that uh, way. Uh, and then on Saturday night, uh, Iowa State got to 8-0 with a road win against Creighton. Iowa State ranks better in the metrics. Uh, at this point, Iowa State, three of its eight wins are away from home. Um, GP mentioned them. It's uh, just the sixth time in school history, by the way, Iowa State has started 8-0, and TJ Otzelberger is just the second coach ever at Iowa State to start a season. Uh, 
8-0, which is impressive in its own regard. Minnesota has four of its seven wins away from home, two of them roadies, uh, an ugly one against Pitt, and then they got the they got the nice one against Mississippi State. To me, Minnesota's more surprising. We've never seen Ben Johnson as a head coach. TJ Otzelberger was solid at South Dakota State. He was a little bit up and down, though he was better in his first year than his second year at UNLV, and he's familiar with, with Iowa State. Iowa State was a worse team last season, but Minnesota did not have, uh, again, it has one, it has one player, Eric Curry, who had ever played minutes before in a Minnesota uni playing again this season. So I didn't think like, if you told me, all right, it's going to be an interesting person. That's not a fact. That's an, uh, that's an untruth. That's a lie. Why is that? Peyton Willis. Okay. All I'm saying, I talked, I talked to, Ben Johnson on the phone last week for the court report, and he said Eric Curry. So I'm taking. <laughs> Peyton Willis is a boomerang transfer. Started at Vandy, two years there, then played a season at Minnesota, then went to college at Charleston. Now he's back at Minnesota, averaging a team high 17.4 points per game. So what I think Ben was trying to say was last season, Curry right. was dealing with. Iowa State also has a boomerang transfer. I love that you're t- picking up my lingo. It's a good, it's a good phrase. It's also accurate. Uh, in Iowa State's win against Creighton, Caleb Grill, boomerang transfer, UNLV, mm-hmm. started Iowa State, comes on back home with Altsburger. He had 16 in the win against Creighton. And both these teams are defensive. The thing they have in common here uh, is that they are defensive-oriented. And Iowa State fans obviously were aghast at how bad the team was last season. So this has got to, you know, to get this has got to be just feeling incredible for Minnesota. It's almost like a house money situation as well, just because there was no expectation. And Oh, by the way, they've looked at the schedule. They, they can anticipate what's coming here. Maybe you steal one of the next two. You got Michigan at home on Wednesday, and then you go at Michigan Saturday. And if you split, then, then we're really talking no matter which order that comes in, you get blown out at home Wednesday against Michigan state. Then people will be like, how real are they? And then if you can come back and win on the road against Michigan State or against Michigan, then people will really be feeling that you might have something. But um, yeah, I featured both of these teams in last week's court report and talked to their coaches because I anticipated they wouldn't get one more week through without a loss to either of them. So I gave them their shine. They've been they've been wonderfully surprising at this point. And I think as surprising as anyone else, because as GP has noted, uh, they were both picked last in the preseason and understandably so. This isn't, you know, a situation where it was impractical to think that Minnesota would be the worst team in the Big Ten. Maybe they will wind up being that. I'm, I'm not as convinced now, that's for sure. Or Iowa State would be the worst team in the Big 12. Maybe they still will be. I'm not as convinced of that right now either. But um, we, uh, anyone that's listened to the podcast for a long time knows that once we get past Thanksgiving, we get to this first week of the season, like clockwork, there's usually a couple of schools that are just, they wind up being nice stories. We don't know if they'll remain that way. I re- recall Arizona state a few years back being this exact kind of deal here when they were one of the last unbeatens. Um, but give them their shine now. Cause we could look up and they could really be slumping through it in league season in, in league play. So I don't know that it's, uh, it's two really, really good stories and maybe they can keep it up. The one thing they also have in common is that they're not short on experience, which is also critical because, you know, a lot of these, they built rosters through transfers, as everyone did. I get that. But when you're a first-year coach taking over a program and you're kind of building through the transfer portal, there's just more unknowns because you weren't there the season before. And you're asking players to buy into a situation when there's no guarantee you're going to be good because, as is often the case, you're coming to a program that was really bad. So to see them start this well, I think, is a really cool deal. Iowa State started 113th at Ken Palm, now up to 64. It's a 49-spot improvement Minnesota started 119th at Ken Palm, 
now up to 91. That's a 28 spot improvement. So both teams um, have made significant jumps and that's because they're, they're playing well and stacking wins at a rate that I don't think anybody anticipated. All right, dead leg. What else do we need to know about uh, from the weekend? You saw the Kansas Jayhawks. I did. I did. Um, well, how about this? So uh, a refresher for anyone listening, we have 12 undefeated teams, Purdue, Baylor, USC. I'll get to them in just a second. Arizona still without a scratch. LSU, not ranked. Do you have LSU in your top 25 and one? Of course I do. I'm not an idiot. Well, hey, listen, I looked at that top 25 and one early on Sunday morning, and I thought, I looked at it, I was like, I know he's probably, like, content with this, but he's got to be sitting uneasy because of the way that the season has started, like, what was it? Like, don't you still have Bama behind Gonzaga? Do I have that right, even though Bama beat Gonzaga, stuff like that? Yeah, I do. Gonzaga's very difficult to try to figure out what to do with because I've got Gonzaga behind UCLA and who else did they beat? Uh, Gonzaga beat Texas. Yes. You have them ahead of Texas, though. Yeah, I have them ahead of Texas, but I have them behind UCLA, and they beat UCLA's brains in on a neutral. Right. But then they have lost to Duke in Alabama – but then Alabama's got this weird loss to Iona. You know, there's no perfect way to handle that. There's there is not a perfect way to handle it. I you have I bring that up only because like when I when I do the power rankings later this week, I will ha- I will still keep USC high. They they have done a great job so far. They USC has five of its eight wins have not come in its own home building. Three of them have been on the road, knocked off San Diego State and a Washington State team that I that was over the weekend. Pac-12 Network, of course. Um, I think USC is maybe the least discussed really good team to this point. Uh, so Purdue, Baylor, USC, Arizona, Arkansas, LSU, San Francisco, Colorado State, Iowa State, Minnesota, Weber State, and Wyoming. Those are your 12 undefeated teams. And also a little bit of love to Colorado State. Got to 9-0. and Had no issue whatsoever with the St. Mary's team that two days prior. Yes, it was also on the road. St. Mary's did two road games in a three-day stretch. So that's asking a lot against quality teams. St. Mary's came off the win against Utah State. Colorado State now has defeated Creighton and St. Mary's most notably. It will play next Saturday, Mississippi State. David Roddy and Isaiah Stevens are a hell of a one-two. Roddy is kind of the do-it-all, small ball, five, big when they need him to be. And then Isaiah Stevens is evolving into one of the 10 best point guards, if not better, in college basketball. So you keep this up, CSU. Uh, the love and pub will only continue. I had this team ranked top 35 in the preseason. Thought they'd be the best team in the Mountain West. There's been nothing to dissuade me from that. But we are at... We're at 12 undefeateds right now. Preseason episode. I said before January 1, we wouldn't have one. You said after. How are we feeling right now with that? I feel great. And uh, more, I was thinking about this the other day. Do you remember the team I specifically mentioned? Boilers, right? That's right. I said, I said, I'm just scanning through some schedules, but like Purdue looks like a real candidate to be undefeated on January 1. And at this point, I'm assuming they will be. Yeah, they won by seven. We were we missed that one. Not as keeping track. Uh, we both had Purdue covering easily, and uh, then and then and then Keegan Murray's out. It's like okay, the, like the line jumped from like eleven to fifteen, and then you look up and they're in a tight game late. They are, yeah. So credit to Iowa. I'll get to them in a second. They got a game to to keep an eye on here coming forward. But yeah, so per, Purdue, they are the most likely candidate at this point. They've got at Rutgers Thursday. Rutgers is having the chess shoes. Then they'll have NC State and Butler will Purdue Incarnate Word Nichols uh, Nichols State and then the next you know the largest looming threat is a good Wisconsin team and that's not till January third. So you are looking like you will be right and I'll be wrong, but we will have to uh, yeah. we'll have to wait and see on that. You mentioned um, 
USC is the least talked about really good team or undefeated team in the country. I can tell you USC gets discussed in Memphis probably more than it gets discussed in LA. <laughs> and USC basketball, at least, because yeah. everything's focused on football, but it gives a boogie Ellis. USC basketball might have been more discussed on Memphis Sports Talk Radio than LA Sports Talk Radio so far this season because the conversation is we don't have a point guard. Do you see what Boogie Ellis is doing? So my my southerner impression was horrendous, obviously, and proudly horrendous. Uh, is that the average Memphis caller impression? I don't. I don't know. I don't even take calls. Okay, fair enough. I don't do. It. I might. I'm. I'm among the only sports talk shows in America that just, with rare exception, I do not take calls. I haven't taken calls in months. There we I go. Thought, okay. Well, I, the the impression was just it seemed it seemed like yeah, yeah. But that yes, but that to answer your question, yes, that is my that is my impression of a sports talk radio caller. Okay, I was uh, I was in Long Island uh, on Friday night. I went to go see St. John's open UBS Arena, as we previously discussed on the Friday pod. They played Kansas. I was hoping for a good game. St. John's actually closed the gap late. Whatever. St. John's. Uh, Mike Anderson. As as an aside to any Johnny's fans listening, I know you are, are all too aware of this. A horrendous schedule for a team that was anticipated to be top half of the Big East. You got to schedule better. They they don't have a good win and they have no more non-conference opportunities. So now you put your program in a position where to feel comfortable about making the NCAA tournament, fourth at worst, but really top three in this in the ledger in the Big East. So, you know, whatever. Fallout from St. John's there. I want to just mention Kansas real quick because I saw him up close again for the second time this season. Talked to self afterward. Ochai Abaji continues to meet to be a top 10 player in America. He is, I didn't, I didn't realize this till I, I checked the notes. Um, he has started 84 consecutive games. Uh, that's the ninth best in the history of the program. He has just been ultra reliable, but as self told me afterward, he, it's like every single week, he just continues to kind of open the box and unlock another element about his game. And it's been this trajectory over his career. And, um, it's just really paying off in a big way, but Christian Brown's the story. He had a career high 31 points, also had a career high eight rebounds. Uh, Kansas, they they were projected as a preseason top five team. They're they're certainly getting back there because you know Abaji had 20 plus. He also had, I think he had a season high in rebounds with seven. Um, they were between Abaji and Brown, they were like 60 percent from the floor or something close to that, and. If you're a KU fan, you're probably pretty comfortable with where your team is at right now because David McCormick, they're not going to run everything through him, nor should they. But it seems like, and Self had also mentioned this, when they do that, they've got such a better chance at having a better chance to win no matter the opponent. McCormick got his touches. And then the other thing was, we talk about how like Penny was was good on the record with Seth. This Self had no bad things to say about his roster, his locker room, or anything like that. But what he said, he was like... I'm learning things from Remy Martin about being a coach that I never have before. He was almost speaking like it was good friction. Like he's, I'm, I got to let go of some stuff because I'm not going to change the way that this guy approaches the game and plays the game. Now, Remy Martin has not been what was expected of him in the preseason to this point. Top 15, top 20 level kind of player, maybe an All-American. A lot of people thought he'd be the best player on the roster. Um, uh, it is Abaji, and some certainly thought it would be Abaji. It's that, that's no doubt about it. But it seems like, Remy Martin embracing this, like, I don't need all my shots. I don't need all my touches, but still kind of let me be me out there. Uh, you know, I need a little bit of an open canvas and self is resistant to do that. It seems to be working to this point. And Kansas is a lot of fun. Um, 
I, I understand if you're not really locked in on KU or the Big 12 right now, they're a little bit off your radar, but just keep this in mind going forward. I think they've got a really good shot at evolving into uh, into being, you know, a national title contender. They're 6-1. They lost to Dayton, so you kind of you're like, ah, oh, they lost at the buzzer to Dayton. You know, maybe they're not as good. They've been able to rebound well, and they'll be a little bit off the radar for a bit here, which is why I bring this up, because they play Missouri. It's awesome. They were they're renewing that rivalry game. That'll be this weekend on Saturday. They've got a roadie at Colorado, Tennessee, as you just mentioned, was able to win there. So I don't know if Kansas is going to have a result that warrants us really talking about the Jayhawks again until we get to 2021. I mean, it's UTEP, Missouri, Stephen F. Austin, Colorado, Harvard, TCU on New Year's Day. So uh, being that I saw him in person, I uh, just wanted to uh, to bring up the Jayhawks there. Didn't know if you had any particular. Well, answer. I'm sold on Abaji. Um and How can you not be right? Right. And it's not just because he's, you know, averaging 22.6 per game. Uh, it's, it's, you go look at the game log. He's taking 15, 16 shots every game, 14, 15, 16 shots every game. That speaks to him. It, it, the mindset, aggressiveness, he's going to get his shots. And he's the type of player who, you know, is going to make a good percentage of them at, at the level at which he's playing. He's taking a real leap. You know, you every legitimate NBA prospect who comes back to school says that he is coming back to school to improve his game and become better at the things he needs to be better at to play in the NBA. They don't all do it. They all say that's why they're coming back. But they don't all then do it. Abadji's doing it. He's done it. He is. He has um, established himself as a legitimate first round option. I don't think he got picked last year, last draft legitimate first round option now maybe top 20 option and if kansas wins the second national championship of bill self's career um he'll be the mvp of that team that's already clear agreed um so we'll circle back on kansas likely in a few weeks here unless they take an unexpected loss um all right heads up on on games to watch keep an eye out for uh, reminder we are now into the finals territory so this week and next week although we'll continually have games teams just dial it back and the the slate becomes lighter generally speaking so um monday you've got uh, illinois iowa seven eastern fs1 again no keegan murray because of a tender ankle on friday i would expect him to play here illinois destroyed i was sitting there on press row with uh with john rostein who by the way says the podcast on youtube looks great john i don't know if you're watching but we appreciate it and thank you for the for the compliment there um so we watched the Rutgers Illinois game on his laptop and it was like barely worth watching, but it was Rossi. And so of course he was locked in the whole time and ready to send out the tweet. Once the game ended, it became, became official his uh, bring the pain. I think it is anyway. Um, they won 86 51 and it was, how about this? It was Illinois largest margin of victory in a big 10 game since 2005. So uh, Illinois has played seven different starting lineups at this point in the season. And yet, despite all that, Kofi Coburn is averaging 24 a game. That's third most in the country points per game uh, between him and Utah transfer Alonzo Plummer, who's uh, averaging 24 in the past four games, shooting almost 50% from three. It's not Curbelo. It, it, it's intriguing. So Illinois at Iowa, Iowa coming off the loss there. That's actually a pretty, it's a quality uh, game on a Monday night that just doesn't have anything else. That's the only game worth watching. And then on Tuesday, you've got the Jimmy V. Uh, I normally go, I will just, there will not quite be enough this year to, to get me down. Not Texas, a great, it's not a great Jimmy V. Let's be honest. It's, it's just, it's just okay. And uh, you know, 
it's just, it's just, it's just okay. So I'll be happy to watch. I'll be happy to watch from home. It'll be Texas tech, Tennessee. And I am interested to see Texas tech in that kind of spot. Um, and every listener to your radio show will be interested to see how Kennedy Chandler plays for, for the Vols there. But, um, Red Raider fans, uh, if your team gets a win over the Vols, obviously we'll be talking about them on the Wednesday morning pod. Reminder, 10 a.m. Eastern, Wednesday morning. You can watch us live on YouTube um, if you're not already scheduling and planning to do so. Reminder, I have a flight on Wednesday morning. We okay. should have to. Okay, have never to. mind. This is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, go- I'm flying to uh, Virginia on Monday. It's uh, Virginia at James Madison on Tuesday night. Yeah. Um, CBS Sports Network. Okay. I'll be I'll be your beautiful sideline reporter. Small waist, pretty face, oh. and a bit and a big bank. Okay, not not doing the dance though. Okay, so you have that. Wait, wait, let's talk. Let's talk it through right now. So, so so does so as soon as we get out of here, we can be done with each other. Um, okay, I got a six thirty Eastern tip, seven thirty Eastern, eight thirty Eastern. Back at the hotel. Could do it like around 9.15, 9.30 Eastern on Tuesday night. 9.15, 9.30 Tuesday night. Certainly achievable. Although I kind of here's the here's the tricky thing though. Like if Nova were to lose against Syracuse, that's a 9.30 tip, Jimmy V. We need to the Wednesday listeners, the commuters, they're gonna we'd be letting our listenership down. So what I'm open to doing. I'm, I've been letting people down for years. I let my own family down all the time. We let our we let our viewers down. By the way, I didn't remember this whatsoever until it was brought up in the live chat. We were supposed to bring our dogs on this podcast. I'm not going to mm. leave mid show. I will get it done. We won't get it done both on the next episode because Paris isn't bringing his dogs when he's traveling. But our apologies. The dogs will eventually. The dogs will eventually make an appearance. You may, you may check my flight information. Let's see what time I leave on. Uh... You all right? As he checks his flight information Tuesday night, he's got that's. Little sneaky. That's Virginia at JMU. JMU might be the best team, might be the best team in the CAA this season. So there's a chance, you know, Virginia has not been exactly the sturdiest of teams. It barely beat Pitt on Friday. I didn't see the game. I came home from the Kansas St. John's game, uh, checked the old Twitter feed, and that highlight popped up, which was a phenomenal highlight. Uh, I, I think it was Jaden Gardner that hit the shot got a friendly home bounce and the place just exploded, which is great, but you almost lost to Pitt. Uh, so the Virginia's in a rough spot there. So you got that game, Texas Tech, Tennessee, Nova Syracuse will start around nine 30 on ESPN and the Jimmy V. And then the only other one in the next two days, also Tuesday night, good mid major matchup Belmont against St. Louis. Um, winner could really use that to, uh, to bolster their, their resume there. So um, I got a couple more notes before we scoot on out of here, but those are games to know. What time is your flight situation on Wednesday morning, GP? Looks like if I left my hotel by 1045, I'd be okay. In the morning? Yeah. By 1045 Eastern. So we, we do one of two things. We either wait until the Villanova Syracuse game is in hand and do a, a, a do a late night pod, or we just bump it up and we make sure we start podcasting, say nine 15 Eastern Wednesday morning. We're out of here by 10, 10 Oh five. And you're good to go. Yeah. I think that's, that's a lot of extra time in there. I think if I need to leave my hotel by 10 45, we start recording at nine 45 or even 10 o'clock, even right, 10 o'clock. Really? Yeah, I'll you be want ready. to put us under that. You want to put us under that kind of pressure. We'll have it start at ten o'clock. We have a hard out at forty-five, and I'm already no packed. I'm already packed and ready to go. 
All right, we have we have now resolved this in real time. We will see you, as I said, four and a half minutes ago, <laughs> Wednesday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern on the YouTube stream. Nada will be sure to put a link in the podcast description to uh, the show. Please continue to, to subscribe. We quite enjoy you, and we enjoy the live chats as well. Um, those are the games to know. Two more things before we get out of here. One, uh, couldn't help but note. Oh, three more things. One, the net rankings will debut Monday. Please don't overreact to them. But that no, is something I'm, I'm going to overreact. You want to leave the show with it Wednesday? You want to do an emergency pod Monday afternoon about the net rankings? So, like, that's tomorrow? Correct. Monday, the net rankings will debut publicly. They've existed every single day of the season. The NCAA just waits until about a month in, and then they update, obviously, every day. No, I, don't, I do not want to do an emergency plan. I'm going to privately overreact. I'm going to overreact in my own head. The question is, will Ohio State, for the f- third time in four years, debut as the number one team in the net? Got that win over Duke. Anything's possible, my man. I'm going to say no. Two-loss team, not going to be there. It'll be number one in the net will be the Purdue Bowlermakers. Got to be, right? Has to be. I'd be. I'd I'm actually – anyway, I – Nothing would surprise me, surprise me with the first version of the net, but I would I would be as close to the surprise as possible if Purdue is not the number one team in the net. Two more things. Uh, one, a thank you to everyone that's found us on social media and shared that I don't I'm I'm a simpleton. I don't use Spotify. I, I'm an Amazon Music Unlimited dude, so I don't I don't get you know they you shared your Spotify wrapped, and we had quite a number of listeners who shared uh, that we were their most listened to podcast. That's awesome. We love it. Apple Podcasts is still by far the most popular way to listen, but YouTube's growing, and Spotify is still plenty popular with a lot of people. That was really really cool. You can continue to at Ion College Basketball Podcast on Twitter. Nada, maybe we'll even throw it up here the uh, the handle on the YouTube stream and uh, go follow that account get alerts and updates and then tweet us your Spotify draft and we give you a little retweet love, but that's really cool. And then uh, we'll end the show on a, um, on a heartfelt, but serious note. Cause I want to give a, a shout out here um, to anyone that follows GP and I on Twitter and our good buddy, Kyle Boone. Uh, he is undergoing his second battle uh, with cancer as we speak. Obviously this is, you know, just terrible, but uh, KB, you, know, you have our 100% love and support he is going to start his next round of chemo treatments on monday he has posted about this on social media um uh, kyle boone if you are unfamiliar has obviously worked with us at cbs sports for years now he has appeared on this podcast he is our nba draft guru and i look forward to having him back on this podcast very very soon but uh he was diagnosed uh, a while back with testicular cancer and he beat that just as he will beat this but uh, the cancer has metastasized in his lungs, uh, the testicular cancer, that is. And he will be undergoing treatments for um, uh, throughout December into January. And so I, I thought it best that we at least alert our listeners because uh, we love Kyle so much and cannot wait for him to be back and stronger and better than ever. He was able to go over the weekend with his father, his family to see his uh, his alma mater, Oklahoma State, uh, lose an absolute heartbreaker in that Big 12 championship game against Baylor. Uh, I, I, you know, I was, I don't, it doesn't really matter to me who wins those games, uh, but for KB's sake, I was actually hoping that uh, Gundy and the Cowboys were going to be able to get that one done there. But, uh, but he got to experience that, and I know he loves listening to this podcast. I think he listens to pretty much everyone. So I uh, can't wait for him to get back, be better, stronger than ever. Uh, and, you know, if you are not already familiar with with Kyle Boone, he is the most joyously optimistic and encouraging colleague anyone could ever ask for. And uh, I, I sincerely cannot wait 
to get him back on this podcast and frankly to get him back on the podcast in a, in a form where now that we're on video we can even you know do a do a three-man pod in some sort of sort so it's uh so yeah i just wanted to give him a, a shout at the end of the pod here because he he starts that journey again uh tomorrow and if you if you follow kyle on on social media just be sure to send him some good notes he could always uh he could always use that and uh we're here for you bud yeah it's just uh heartbreaking and unfair and um a reminder of how random life is like every once in a while somebody would be like so what do you believe in and i say i believe in randomness i believe that sometimes uh good things do happen to good people that's the cliche i believe that's true sometimes good things do happen to good people and i i do think sometimes bad things happen to bad people and that seems to make sense but just as often it feels like um Good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people. And this is a really great example of a bad thing happening to a terrific person. I mean, just the best colleague, more importantly, husband, father, he's got a beautiful young family. Like, you know, you and I, we do this and we do CBS sports HQ and I rank 26 teams every morning and you have your court report and we have columns whenever we have them um but we more or less do what we want to do like uh, we have guidance obviously but you know we Kyle does whatever anybody wants him to do hey Kyle we need this uh predictions package hey we okay hey we need a top 100 NBA draft pick I'm on it I've never heard him say no or complain about anything. I complain about everything. I say I want to do things, do them, and then complain about them. <laughs> and so for him, of all people, to be going through this, it's just unfair. Um, and, you know, like, I, I swear to you, on the same day that I find this out, it's like I'd had a, you know, I thought I was having a bad day, you know? And I <laughs> so clearly wasn't. Um, and it's just, it makes me sick that he has to go through this again, but it's important to remember, um, the odds are still very much in his favor. And that's what I told him. And, and he knows that as well. So, um, you know, keep him in your thoughts as you go through this week, because he's, uh, put a brave face on and he's staying optimistic because he's at his core. That's who he is. But I know somewhere in there, he's scared. Um, who wouldn't be? I know I would be. Um, so keep him in your thoughts because, uh, you know, he's in a real fight right now. Shouts to Kyle Boone. And Devin Downey and Chester, South Carolina. And Steve Athoro, legend. Shouts to Lar now. Thank you guys for listening once again to the Island College Basketball Podcast in the middle of the absolute dumbest pandemic of my lifetime. If you're not subscribed, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe, including Apple Podcasts. And please keep the uh, reviews coming. Like, I, I think there's like nearly 20 new reviews over the past week or something like that. And they're all people who are very enthusiastic about having sex before marriage. They're almost all about oh, that. Oh, I don't have my phone up. Uh, hold on. I can check out my message. Um uh, I hope you can't hear that, but the Santa truck just drove by our house in our neighborhood here. Um, Okay, shouts to Bill Potter, uh, one of who no longer works in college athletics, but is one of 
one of the elite people at his job and college athletics is worse for it. Um, uh, he was in communications with uh, multiple leagues. He sent me this today. Uh, and he goes, found one of your one star reviewers while out getting Christmas lights. I will send this photo in the no context Twitter preview and a bumper sticker on the back of it says it's cool to be a virgin till marriage. It's just, I, no, I love how this podcast is, <laughs> is impacting and just ever so slightly just affecting the lives of our listeners where you see a, a bumper sticker on that and you immediately think I've got to text Norlander about this because this person <laughs> clearly is a one star reviewer to the podcast. Unbelievable. I told you in a previous episode that there's more of us than there are of them. And the, the most recent reviews are showing that there's nothing radical about our, about our support. Not at all. By the way, not a, uh, <laughs> I see, I've seen this every episode. We're not trying to swerve into it, but I think in the live chat on YouTube, every single time we've gotten to premarital sex, every single live show we've done. And so he's got this thing going. He goes, if you had the over 30 minute mark to when premarital sex got mentioned, collect your winnings. It's it's happening. Yeah, I was just uh, yeah. I'm not here to tell you. Everybody knows how I feel about premarital sex at this point. Everybody knows how much you not only uh, enjoy it but endorse it and promote it. Enjoyed um, it. En- enjoyed it a lot. I keep trying, but I, I can't. I can't have it. Anymore. <laughs> um, and so the reviews are re- a reflection of people who support what we support, and that makes me smile. So keep them coming over at YouTube. If you haven't subscribed, please uh, subscribe to that. What are they going to do to the like button, Deadleg? Ooh, wow. That's a nice little rhythm you had there. Smash it like Brandon Davies might. He would. He doesn't care. Suspend him. Suspend him. Suspend him. It doesn't matter to him. He's got a choice to make. We all make choices. You want one more piece of pizza? Even if it means you might need to do 20 more minutes on the treadmill? Yeah, I'll take that. How was your Saturday? How was my Saturday? I feel like that, like that might have been something you encountered internally in the past 24 hours, that's all. I'm always trying to make these decisions, you know? Do you want to smash? You want to smash whether it could put your basketball season at risk or not. It's a choice you have to make. He made his. I support his choice. So if you see that smash button, do the same thing Brandon Davies would do. You have consent. We're going to talk to you again Wednesday morning, 10 a.m. Eastern. Oh, boy, I can't wait. Till then, take it. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.